by the time I was 14 and life, you know, family going to church weekly and so on, I knew I would never meet Christ in this church. But I knew that there was an interconnectedness of all things and all people and there was a spirit of unity of the whole world. And in my mind, I held that sort of almost picture of a, a Christ being or a being of the unity of all mankind alive and of the past. That was Rachel Pomeroy and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. G'day, welcome back to The Regenerative Journey. Again, you'll find me sitting in my office here at Hanamino with the birds tweeting, guinea fowl squawking and imminent rain. Um, when you hear this, I trust we've had some rain. In Shirain, we are have been really lucky down here at Burrawa. I have to say, <clears throat> winter, spring so far, um, it's green, uh, grass is kind of slowed up. Um, not growing as fast as it was, a drink of water would just explode. It's still warm, or very you know, warm. The soil's warmed up. It's not too hot. I think the next week's going to be um, mildish, which is lovely, beautiful growing weather, and we could really do with a, a drink to uh, grow some food to get through spring <clears throat> and hopefully enough to sort of get us equipped for summer. Um, having said all that, there are a lot of people further to the north of, of here, who I know, and north and west, um, Queensland, northern New South Wales, central New South Wales, and don't have to go very far from here to sort of see that things are bloody tough. And, you know, the spring that we're all hoping for, I guess it was going to be a fourth spring in a row, which is a bit unheard of. So in some ways we shouldn't be too surprised that there are some real challenges taking place in rural eastern or eastern part of Australia. I'm not, not entirely sure how things are going across in WA. I think they're having not a bad season. Certainly um, southern New South Wales and Victoria are doing okay. I think Tassie is too. But anyway, that's a bit of a around the grounds of season. Um, but really, uh, yeah, praying for rain across the eastern seaboard <clears throat> would be awesome and inland um, as far as it, uh, it it will go. That would be delicious if we could all snag a bit of that because there's bloody, there's bugger all, bugger all else going on in the um, ag, ag world that's, um, shining a bright light on on things. Um, commodity prices are pretty bloody ordinary. Sheep keep slipping. Cattle. Um, I think wool's taken a bit of a dive as well. Um, really interesting. I think it's always fascinating as to why. 
there's season, there's weather, there's conditions, there's sentiment, <clears throat> there's El Nino. It's really interesting how now it just seems to me that things aren't don't not that they don't stack. I mean, lots of things aren't stacking up anymore, but <laughs> it's another conversation. But in terms of you know, I I often get asked what's what's influencing the cattle and the sheep market at the moment, and you know, there's the normal things, um, season mainly, you know, supply demand, but there's also interest rates, there's inflation, there's overseas, you know, influence and markets that are opening up or closing down and just seems to be so many variables in the market nowadays. And that has always been variation, has always been a number of influences, but it just seems to be a bit more mixed up. Maybe there's maybe a bit more political stuff going on as well. Um Anyway, it's harder to pick than a broken nose, to be honest, nowadays. Um, but anyway, let's hope we get the rain. Rain doesn't solve everything, but it certainly will give people feed and um, maybe able to hang on to stop longer and and keep them in condition and and, yeah, and maintain maintain numbers or not have to drop them as quite as much as they might might have had to if it doesn't rain. <clears throat> Especially coming to summer too, where it's going to you know, it's going to get drier. Um, uh, generally, it does in a fair bit of Australia. Maybe the, up the up the north is when they get a bit of summer rain. But anyway, moving on from that, I do want to make a note of um, a bunch of buddies of mine um, have doing some uh, fantastic stuff. With no doubt, we're all well aware of the mRNA um, jabs that. Um, Went around the world a couple of years ago. I don't want to dwell on that. If I don't want to talk too much about it, otherwise it might get taken off air. However, um, I think everyone should be pretty clear in my view on all that bollocks. Now, if you're a first-time listener, then um, you'll probably hear about it, <laughs> or you'll get you'll get a pretty firm impression. Nonetheless, it's interesting that there has been a lot of development, um, more so public development, and there's been a lot of private and under-the-radar development, I think, in the last, over, actually after over 10 years, in the, especially in the cattle industry in the States, on developing mRNA um, vaccines for, for animals. Uh, in this case, beef is the, in the headlines. Uh, and given what everyone experienced and, and, and some people know, know about, not everyone does, but certainly the experiences of many and uh, the results, what we're hearing, what we're seeing um, of those particular types of jabs uh, on people and now they want to roll it out to animals is what I th- I think is absolutely insane. Um, anyway, <clears throat> it's interesting that there's a lot more people interested. Uh, it's something that I think we should all be thinking about, um, asking better questions, and some buddies of, uh, buddies of mine have put together a website. I'd love you to go and check it out. I'm not sure by the time we um, this goes to air, Hopefully it's been um, it's actually uh, it's it's up and away. Stakes are high. It's called go Google that. Stakes are high. Actually, off stakesarehigh dot org, and it is advocating for people asking better questions, producers asking better questions, consumers asking better questions, and really digging deep on what is what is the impact of um, this type of jab use in in cattle. In this case, um, I'm sure there'll be other species that well, they'll probably want to jab into. In the things for for what they would say is a control uh, mitigation against 
at this point, some exotic diseases like foot and mouth and um, lumpy skin disease, which from what I understand was a bit of a scare last year but really aren't a, a threat, um, not sort of an imminent threat. Lots of checks and balances already in place to keep it off our shores. However, some people think it's a good idea to go and explore the option of creating these sort of jabs for cattle. So check it out, stakesahigh.org. Um, advocating for people essentially to ask better questions and to give farmers a voice when it cons- when it concerns their livelihoods and livestock and consumers a choice when it comes to the food they eat. So that's what the guys are doing. They're fantastic. There's some good buddies of mine involved, and um, I want you to go and check it out and see what you think. And there's some things you can sign up for in terms of uh, sort of you know keeping on uh, up to date with what they're doing. Um, developments in that industry or in that in that um, in that world of of R and D on these sort of jabs, um, and I think it's a really good idea that we do simply ask better questions of where our food's from, who's what's going into that food. I mean, it's nothing new that I've banged on about in terms of um, asking better questions and, and really getting to the source of your food. But this is just another good reason to work out exactly because we don't know. This is the other interesting. They experimented on humans there. Couple of years ago, and still probably are. Um, now it looks like they they want to experiment on on cattle, and in this case, and uh, I don't know if that's going to be good for us to be eating that sort of meat <clears throat> that's had those injections. So anyway, stirring it up. Last second, last episode of the. I know this no, second last episode of the of the podcast, isn't it? So check it out. There's some fantastic links in there, and really good information. Some fantastic partners have come on board. Um, Chief, uh, Provenir, Our Cow, uh, Australian Organic Meat Co, Land to Market, a lovely mob that um, I've had a fair bit to do with, um, and some other fantastic Cherrywood Road Organic Meats, Clayton's Organic Beef, Laffey Family Farms, Cherry Tree Organics, Millowa Organic Beef. These people are asking questions and they are concerned, understandably, about what the implications are. <clears throat> That's a big bang on from me. Now to Rachel Pomeroy, who's a lovely, lovely lady. I met her in New Zealand when I went to um, speak at the uh, Biodynamics New Zealand conference uh, over there in New Ze- in the North Island ooh, back in May. Now, she is the partner of Peter Proctor. Peter Proctor, um, he passed away a couple of years ago now, and what a lovely guy. If you want to know how lovely a guy he was, Go and Google this amazing documentary called One Man, One Cow, One Planet that he and Rachel starred in. He's a biodynamic practitioner, one of the best um, in the business, and he has an amazing story of how he, he went to India and basically taught a lot of Indian farmers how to do it biodynamically, and it's much so much more that doco than just that. Uh, he's a lovely, lovely bloke. I never got to meet Peter, unfortunately, but Rachel was just beautiful to speak with um, her in front of everyone, we were recorded live at the conference um, and just such a font of information and, you know, um, I had many people recommend, suggest that I I, I sit and um, interview Rachel and just, yeah, wonderful, wonderful interview, one of the shorter ones I've done given the sort of time constraints of the, um, of the conference but one I'm sure you'll enjoy uh, as much as I did listening, uh, recording it. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening uh, Rachel Pomeroy here on The Regenerative Journey. Rachel Pomeroy, welcome to The Regenerative Journey and welcome to the Mansfield Park Raceway Convention Function Centre. <laughs> yes? And the, uh, the um, Biodynamics New Zealand Annual Conference. Welcome. 
Thank you, yeah. I'm pleased I'm here today. I'm pleased you're here too because I had you earmarked for an interview um, and I was just trying to work out how I could actually pin you down and then I had a brainwave yesterday in the shower and I thought, mm, how can I fill in an hour and a half of time is basically what I was thinking because I didn't have enough content. I was going, I'm going to be struggling. And I went, hang on, let's interview someone. And you were the obvious choice. So thank you for agreeing. <laughs> You've had a number of hours to pull out and I'm glad you haven't. So the good news here, you're still here. You're still here. Um, Rachel, we, you, uh, just, to, just to let everyone, I guess, um, uh, who's listening and hasn't been present to the conference for the last little while, you and Peter, Peter Proctor, um, were an inspiration to me many years ago when I saw the movie, the, the film, the doco, One Man, One Cow, One Planet. It was, I reckon, 15 years ago, 12 years ago I saw it, and it was amazing. And now I'm yeah, actually sitting next yeah. to you, mm-hmm. a bit of a fanboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's lovely to be here. Um, I'm going to start with a simple one. How did you get into biodynamics? Because you're a bit of a biodynamics legend. Oh, hi. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I guess it started, you were talking about, you mentioned the seven-year-old, and that sparked a thought when I was seven was the first time I consciously remember thinking there's this whole universe, this whole world, I don't know anything about uh, everything about it, but I know it's knowable. So I always knew there was kind of the unseen world that I didn't yet know about but exists and is knowable. So the wisdom of the world, basically. Why is there God? Is there a God? Whatever. By the time I was 14 and life, you know, family going to church weekly and so on, I knew I would never meet Christ in this church, but I knew that there was an interconnectedness of all things and all people, and there was a spirit of unity of the whole world, and in my mind I held that sort of almost picture of a a Christ being, or a being of the unity of all mankind alive and of the past, or deceased. And, uh, yeah, so another 28, another 14 years when I was sort of 28. Um, again, various life path that led me on to anthroposophy, the work of Rudolf Steiner. And that moment, uh, indeed, in Palmerston North was a very central part of it. I was living in Palmerston North at the time. And the daughter of one of the main people, Helen, Pat- Helen um, Mary Patterson, Mary's daughter is here today. Claire, yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, the first night at the first reading group night. And it was like, ah, I'm not the only person in the world who's ever had these thoughts about the world and a bigger picture of what life is all about. And so that was a sort of, I found my home, as it were. And from there, um, I, during, before, having, before getting to that t- point, I had been a student at Massey University, 
five years of studying um, the life sciences, plant biology in particular, a professor, one lesson I do remember was this professor talking about the history of metamorphosis of plants and this man, Goethe, who'd given a certain, and he explained that picture totally clearly on the blackboard. And, you know, we all, people who already had spent five years learning about nodes and how broad beans grow and apexes and leaves and all buds and all that. So um, it was just that, oh, yeah, clear picture. And uh, so a connection with plants, and then as I got into anthroposophy and this more the, you know, description of the world picture, just the relationship of plants, um, stars, this interconnectedness that you're all about is, um, is what I was really keen to know more about. And the more I, I you know, heard about biodynamics, and and by then having gone to Hastings with three young children who then all gone through the Steiner School in Hastings in the intervening years. Uh, and there was a biodynamic course running in, in, in um, Havelock North at Taruna College and uh, I, I knew there was someone who knew about the stars. Hans Mulder would teach us about stars. I was 40 before I even recognised the Southern Cross. I didn't know whether I looked at star maps. No luck working out stars. So, um, and I'd heard of biodynamic preparations that sounded, but, you know, didn't know much about. So it'd be good to know about that. That was enough to... Make me, and I'd been a home gardener trying to grow and you know, grown a few vegetables as you do in the garden, and uh, had parents in, in gardening at home in my childhood and, and relations who were farmers and such like. I remember being out there with the cousins when they're you know, drenching the sheep, and have breeze happens, and they're putting all these ewes through these this mobile drenching machine spray machine and of course when the wind blows this way we're all getting this stuff blowing over us and you know go and get out of the mist of the spray and stuff. So you know New Zealand farming sort of situation, docking lambs and so on. Yeah. Um, and when, when what did people think, did, did you tell people you were trying this Stuff this weird cow horn manure sort of stuff did well yeah I I, I did mm. sort of what do I think um well I guess my my own parental family um you know I didn't meet with any uh, understanding or you know we've sort of stayed good friends but we don't have that deep mean meeting of being kind of on the same level. Got a lovely sister who's they're all gardening away, you know, a life of their own gardening business and so on. Got their spray certificates and all that, you know. But they grow. Lovely gardens, I must say. Very nice. So we all do our different things. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, um, getting into uh, the biodynamics and star watching, well, 
you know, we just went out, I think, two nights pointing out a few constellations with Hans Mulder. And, and um, yeah, but he had these wonderful maps. And from that, it was just a wish in the world to go out and eat. Yeah, all you need is your eyes and the stars and no clouds in between, and you can just be at it. <laughs> it's, um, it's is, it, is it very often that New Zealand doesn't have clouds? <laughs> I've been here for four days and I haven't seen blue sky. Yeah. Did it happen? Well, well up till this season, it was it was great star watching, but um, yeah, right. this year we're uh, losing track a little bit of what's up there. So I understand you're a bit of a guru on the star law stuff, what what was it that that really piqued your interest? Like that, what was the relevance of constellations and stars and stuff up there that you can only see a couple of hours a day? Mm. Um, what was the relevance of that to your your farming or your life? Yeah, well, I suppose I kind of knew that it was part of the whole. You know, the Earth isn't isn't an island. It's connected, it's part of a solar system within a galaxy or whatever else, uh, whatever is out there, and, um, and that we're all actually connected. And, and so, you know, even the rhythms of the day and the night, for instance, it's, it's all about relationship. We're in relationship, and that's the whole thing with the planting calendar and people who say, you know, how can your garden growing cabbages have anything to do with the moon or let alone any of the other planets. So it's like, it's got a lot to do with the Earth, though, hasn't it? And we get these cosmic rhythms because the Earth spins on its axis in 24 hours. Other planets do it in much different times. And because it's on this angle of 23 and a half degrees to the plane of the solar system, and so we get seasons, and there's, yeah, hot and cold and rising and falling, and all these... Um, these things that are, they're, you know, they're as much to do with the earth and the qualities of the earth as they are to do with those jolly things out there. It's a relationship. All these things of connectedness are relationships. So what lives in relationships? Yeah, so, I mean, I loved, of course, I just loved the preparations and that we're working with plants and looking more and more at qualities of plants because although I'd, you know, done those years of university and, and following a lot about structure and classification and various things, um, just this, um, the living with the qualities and, and, you know, even asking those questions like how did the early herbalists sort of learn or know, perceive the healing qualities of things. And, and, and also, you know, the, uh, Rudolf Steiner and his life having those capacities and developing a lot within his life and giving us all, you know, processes by which, because we all have the potential to do these things and to re-find our capacities for, for connecting, connecting with this whole wider world Finding those that connectedness between people, which is so important now, to um, becoming getting any sort of that feeling of connectedness, satisfaction, and for many people that you know the our classic churches and listening to ministers and whatever um, doesn't um, doesn't 
doesn't cut ring, it. Ring true. No. And, you know, what Rudolf Steiner presents and and how it's connected with the wisdom of much earlier times through the whole, you know, wisdom that came through the whole Indian um, Vedas and all right from beginnings way back there. And, you know, wonderful experience in India with connecting with with um, indigenous culture and indigenous values and and how how that's you know much closer for those people than it is in uh, our western world we've had at least these last 400 years of moving very strongly away from any connectedness and but at least we, we've been a bit connected the last couple of days or well, today and tomorrow more connection tomorrow haven't we because we are at the the conference Biodynamics yes. in conference. I'm conscious of time. Do we have time for one quick question from the audience? That can be within, what's the time? Coming up to 10 past five. Okay. Don't know, your call. Stop at quarter past. Quarter, oh, definitely. We've got one question. You're going to have to, yep. like, three minutes. Well, anyone got a question? Last year, like, oh, straight up. Sir? In your experience um, working Just to repeat that, what was the most profound experience you've had whilst putting preparations out? But, yep. yep, cool. Yep. My personal most profound experience has probably been one day um, where I have I have three cows who are now, you know, 18 years old or still with their horns, have a beautiful life grazing the spare land, as it were, at Valada and have Lock North, have a few calves over the years. Um, one day just sort of spreading, stirring the 500 and one the back paddock, just decided to do a paddock by myself and stirred it and I was sprinkling it out and these cows kind of come by and, and you know, it's falling on the cows. And then just thinking, you know, how much there I was by myself, but part of the circle these same cows are the ones I've collected the cow dung from. I've filled the horns, I've buried them in the ground in that place, I've lifted them, I've stirred it for an hour, and these all the cosmic sort of influence coming in and now spreading it in the, in the field and them even walking by and getting it sprinkled on them as well. Just how amazing it is to be part of this cycle of connectedness of consciousness of what you're doing. It's all just simple life processes, but trusting in the wisdom that lives in a process like this and knowing that all this is working to, so that this land is alive, receptive, connected to the whole cosmos, the ordering forces of the cosmos, what the order of, of the cosmos ordering the order of life on earth and that um, how, how how amazing it is to be part of this and that actually in a way it's through this all the cosmic things that have come towards us have formed this life on earth of which, which we're part and now through working consciously with this process we're connecting back to those stars it's like hey you know we know you, you you're here come help us more 
We well, open the pathway, the hotline to heaven. Well, I'm feeling pretty connected to you right now, Rachel, <laughs> as are these people <laughs> interconnected. Um, thank you so much for your time. We are going to pick this up another time when I'm come back when I come back to New Zealand, if they let me in. And um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for everyone's time. You're a legend. So glad we got to meet. But I will track you down another time. And I um, uh, hope you enjoy the rest of tomorrow's um, Biodynamics New Zealand activities. Yes, yes. It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be great. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. And Next week on Regenerative Journey, my guest is Baden McDool. Uh, it is the last episode for um, season seven of the Regenerative Journey, sadly. Uh, however, we're finishing on a high. Um, Baden is a farmer, uh, has been farming up in the um, uh, near Bingra in uh, northern New South Wales for a number of generations, with his family <laughs> for another generations. He's been farming for this his own generation. Um, lovely fellow. He is one of the um, wonderful members of the Highland Beef uh, farmers that fatten stock for Highland Beef, um, as I'm sure you're all now well well aware of. Um, and, and Highland Beef are, of course, our Season 7 sponsors, so lovely to be finishing the season um, with one of, their, one of their chaps, one of their team members. And um, I hope you, I trust you, enjoy next week's episode of The Regenerative Journey with Baden McDougall. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.